Lehman fetuses. Lehman? Lemur fetuses. Lemur fetuses. All right. That's... The fuck? All over my body. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Pillbox Podcast, the place where consistency comes to die. I am joined today with my co-hosts, Vic and Jeb. I want lemur fetuses up my ass. Thank you, Vic. Uh, Vincent was unable to make it today. Hopefully, he'll be back next week. So, um, today we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, me and Jeb will be doing a segment together. Uh, it's going to be kind of a, an interesting one. Hopefully it goes well. This will be a, uh, this will be very different than what we normally do or how things are normally run here. So hopefully it'll be fun. And then Vic's going to do something a little different than what he normally does as well. So hopefully this will be a fun episode. Yeah, this is going to be very different because normally when I do voice actors, it's like, hey, only like four people talk in this. This thing has 18 fucking people. And it was not just like, hey, I'm going to talk for one episode. These were main speaking roles. (laughs) All right, so go ahead and get your your beginning part out of the way. Go ahead and discuss uh, the production company and the voice actors and all that good stuff. Okay, the animation studio was Aniplex. Uh, Oh, wait, I'm so sorry. I have to interrupt you. Did anybody win to get the shout out this week? Oh, shit, yes. Okay, that would be at Wayman EI. I was gonna say, I'm, I'm fucking shocked because if you've ever even looked in this direction, you fucking know exactly what the anime is. You know what the manga is. You know all this shit. Yeah, I'm surprised Fox but, didn't make a guess. I was expecting him to. Yeah, so was I. I mean, I kind of expected him to, to be able to see something like this because it is kind of obvious. I mean, hell, if you're that dumb, you could just reverse search the image. Yeah, I was thinking that too. I was thinking, why haven't more people just reverse searched it in order to, you know, get a freebie shout out? To be honest with you, I really don't know if they care. <laughs> that is a damn good point. Oh, but, okay, but to get back on... All right, but like I said, this is in no order of what the what the character showed up, but it is Homura was Leah Clark. Menisha Batsa was Anita Nekbar. Matsu Colleen Clinkenbeard. Minato was Joel McDonald. Haruka was Josh Braley. Skumi was Lydia McKay. Uzume was Jamie Markey. Mia was Monica Real. Natsu, uh, Yukari was Jasmine Mendo. Kusano was Tia Ballard. Nah, fuck it, I'm not reading the rest of these names. Because, like I said, there are way too many speaking roles in these. Alright. Um, yeah. <clears throat> it's... <laughs> that, that is insane. I didn't realize there was that many. Oh, uh, like I said, I didn't read a bunch of them. There's, there's 18 plus. Oh and if you God. want to start talking about background characters, <laughs> there's even more. Jesus. Did they just get like an entire third world nation to do the voices at this point? Uh, I'm... Yes, because uh, Texas is a third world nation. I'm... Well, it kind of is a third world nation if we really think about it. I, I, I hate to be that guy, but as 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 much as I dislike this anime, I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, they just hired a bunch of fucking 
you know, people from a third world nation handed him a script and was like, here, have fun. Hey, do you remember how you really liked the saga of Tanya the Evil? Uh, that was actually my mom who liked it. I haven't gotten a chance to see it yet. She's going to be buying it here soon, though, so I'll be able to watch it. Yes, my mother is becoming a weeb. <laughs> she liked ReZero a lot, and she likes Saga of Tanya the Evil, and there's a couple others that she's getting into, and then she likes some of the Abridged series on YouTube, like Helsing Ultimate Abridged. Okay, well, Mia, the, the landlady. Yeah. She is voiced by Monica Real, which is, she goes completely against type here by doing a deeper voice. But the voice of Tiny the Evil and uh, similar, like, high up there squeaky characters is normally her domain. Um, anyway, now that the voice cast is out of the way, I will give a very brief overview of the story. And um, just to make this clear, I swiped this from the IMDb page. So uh, this will give you an idea of, like, it'll set the stage, I guess. Uh, the story begins in the year 2020 in the Japanese capital city, which has been renamed Shinto Tito. Taito? It's already a lie. Shinto Tito. Yeah, Shinto Tito. Uh, the main character, Minato Sahashi, uh, has just failed his college entrance exam for the second time. On his way back to his apartment, a girl named Musubi falls from the sky and lands on him. Shortly after meeting Musubi, Minato learns that she is a special being known as a Sekirei. Uh, after letting uh, Musubi stay with him at his apartment, they're both contacted by Hirato Minaka, who is the chairman and CEO of the company MBI. Minato discovers that he is an Ashikabi and learns some details of the Sekirei plan, which is a competition that is a series of fights between Sekirei. So, uh, yeah, that is the briefest and <laughs> yeah, it's a very detailed brief, thing I've ever heard. It's literally just to set the stage so you can go into a little bit greater detail and then we will go from there. Okay, well, the, the very beginning actually shows some of what you see later on, which is Sekirei number 8 and Sekirei number 4. The second or third generation of the Discipline Squad. Now, they're both being fired upon by soldiers inside of some whatever military base. Now, obviously, they're going around dodging the bullets, beating the piss out of these guys. The other one's slicing people to death, but you find out that the reason they're there is because one of the child Seki rays was kidnapped, so... They end up saving that, but it flashes to today, where you get to see... Musubi being chased by uh, a set of twins. Now, these twins have the power of lightning. Musubi doesn't have anything yet because she hasn't emerged. But she ends up landing on uh, Minato, and it's, it's clearly nothing but an ass shot. You know, upskirt ass shot. She's fallen from like a two-story building and, and lands on him just with her ass right in his face. But they end up running around town uh, trying to dodge these twins. It, it cuts to a scene of Minato waking up next to Musubi. Now, Musubi is wearing his shirts and he asked about it. And instead of being like, oh yeah, she starts unbuttoning her shirt. 
and you didn't you say it was under six minutes till you see tits? Uh, yeah, it's within the first five minutes. Uh, I had it written down on my original review. I think it was like the five minute and thirty three second mark that you get your first uh, first tit shot. Are there any aolas shown? <laughs> oh yeah, there's nipples yes. and everything. Amazing! Yeah. This is already the greatest thing ever. <laughs> That's one of my compliments for this show, is the the amount of boobs isn't great. Great meat mountains of bag goodness. Yeah, if I want to make this the shortest review ever, it's nothing but tits and fighting. (laughs) Uh, That's that's one of the things that I love about this show, but also one of the things that I hate about this show. But go ahead and continue. Alright, but soon after that, they're... They're back on the streets, running around from these twins. Twins corner them in an alley. Now, Musubi ends up kissing Minato, which causes these bizarre wings and a symbol to become on her back. And that's what's called emergence. And I say that now because it'll come back up a couple times. So, Minato ends up getting... Evicted from his apartment because his landlord's a giant cocksucker and only runs to uh, single guys. And if you have a woman there, he kicks your ass out. I thought that was so fucking weird. What in what universe does that happen? Alabama. <laughs> no, Alabama. It's you know if you're not if you're not here with your cousin, you're getting kicked out. I thought Alabama was sister and Texas was cousin. I thought that was Nevada. Wait, no, I no, thought that was South Dakota. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, your state is cousins. <coughs> well, your, your town is cousins. <laughs> right. Keeping it in the family. Can't keep it in your, fa- in your pants, keep it in the family. Exactly. <laughs> Incest is best. Put your sister to the test. Oh, God, that rhymed. That was How have you never was... heard these... That is a very, very common phrase. Yeah, I was going to say, I heard that shit back when I was in, like, 7th grade. I live in a pussy-ass town. You say faggot to people, everyone starts, like, throwing a hissy fit. Well, if I start calling people a faggot out here, everybody starts throwing a hissy fit, too. Yeah, I can't exactly... It's like middle-class white people hissy fits. Obviously, you've never seen a redneck throw a hissy fit because, you know what, it's the funniest shit ever. I can just imagine him throwing down his cowboy hat, stomping on it, and just sadly firing his gun into his boot. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's that's pretty accurate. Only, instead of a handgun like you'd think a cowboy would have, it's a shotgun. Because, like, the big thing around here is pheasant hunting, and you do that with shotguns, so everybody has fucking shotguns. Yikes. Anyway. Alright. Well, like I said, they ended up getting the boot, and they're hunting around trying to find another apartment, but because Minato is unemployed, has no deposit, and pretty much is like any other, you know, 18-year-old. No, I don't know. I can't remember his age. <laughs> he's, in, he's trying to get into college. That's use that as a rough outline. Yeah, so between 18, 19, maybe 20. Yeah, maybe 21 if he's an extremely lazy cocksucker. No. Okay. And, you know, eventually it cuts to the scene of him sitting on a park bench 
It starts raining, and he's throwing himself a little pity party. Musubi ends up kissing him again, and then jumping up through the clouds to prove him wrong, because he's saying that he's not a, a good person or a good Ashikabe. Now, it's going to become a thing that Musubi has no idea how to land. That was something that I kind of enjoyed. I thought that was a little funny, the fact that she couldn't ever fucking land properly. Oh, no, it made me laugh my ass off, but I'm sitting there, I'm like, that's a, that's fucking, uh. <laughs> Somebody's gonna fucking die. Will, exactly. they at least, will they at least die with panties in their face? Most likely. Awesome. The best way to go. Next to chocolate uh, syrup. Uh, just wait. It'll happen again. But uh, as they're plummeting through the skies, they see this image of a girl, you know, coming up from a tree saying, help me. So they land through this tree, making sure they don't kill themselves, which I'm not sure how that works. I'm barely sure logically you would have been paled yourself on a brand. Right. <laughs> uh, that I... or the impact alone... I kind of, I reached a conclusion early on with that show that logic needs to be thrown out the window. Oh, yeah. You know, logic along with, uh, you know, all women's tops. <laughs> right. Woman is a top and is pegging me? Where? Dude, you will get pegged by anything. Awesome. <laughs> In walks a raccoon. <laughs> Are you kidding me? He'd probably fuck the raccoon just to make sure he's not the bottom anymore. <laughs> See, guys, I'm a top! Ow, stop biting me! Stop biting me! I'm not remembering the 1,000 Ways to Die episode where there was some guy, apparently he had, like, three testicles, and then he, like, wasn't getting any getting any pussy from, like, a woman, so he just decided to fuck a raccoon, and then the raccoon... I don't know if... I don't remember if it... Oh, no, it bit off his testicles. His three testicles... See, I, as soon as you said Thousand Ways to Die, my mind went to the episode where the dude went to that furry convention thing out in the woods and people were fucking in fursuits and oh, nobody yeah, wanted to fuck him and he ended bear. up fucking a bear. Whoa. <laughs> well, tried to fuck a bear and got mauled. No, too bad the rest of them weren't mauled by the bear too. <laughs> right. Alright, but... You know, they end up landing in this backyard, and out comes Mia and... Well, he goes by both Homura and uh, Kagari. You know, when he's outside of his little ninja get-up, he's Kagari. When he's in it, he's Homura. Now, you get to find out that Mia runs a boarding house, and she's accepting tenants. So there's Minato down on his hands and knees begging... Literally has his forehead on the floor. Yeah, it's that, you know, I, I hate to sound like I'm being racist or anything, but you see this in just about any anime, plus I've seen it in, like, like live-action uh, Japanese shows, where it's, you know, they put down three fingers on each hand, and they bow down and touch their fingers to their forehead. Not exactly sure what that means. Uh... I don't know. Help me, Jesus. <laughs> I was thinking I am at your mercy, but that works too. Uh, you can probably go either way on that. But uh, they all end up sitting down to eat, and you hear a voice coming from behind the screen. And in walks Kusan, or, uh, 
Uzume. Now, she makes her grand entrance in a pair of panties and a bra. I liked her. She was funny. She was entertaining. She was like that weird neighbor that you have that doesn't care if you come over and she's topless. See, that's the kind of neighbor I like. That's the kind of neighbors I have. (laughs) Every time you talk about where you live, all it does is more and more make me want to just swap places with you. Hell no, I don't want to fuck somebody's cousin. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I have to throw this out there. Pretty much everybody has a cousin, so anyone you fuck, you're probably fucking someone's cousin. That would mean I'm gay then, because all the cousins I know are dudes. Well, you are gay, but that's a completely different subject. I am totally straight and totally uh, for crushing the vagina. You're yeah, a... How many girls have you fucked? Uh, uh. That's what I thought. Shut up, virgin. <laughs> You're as straight as a circle. Well, I haven't had the opportunity yet. You guys apparently are getting pussy left and right. More, more so, Jeb. Once Why every s- get- once every six to eight months is not left and right, dipshit. Well, that's more that's more left than right than me. I'm just up and down, which is more up and down with how I masturbate. Yeah, I was going to say up and down with your hand. I'm sitting there fucking in a stocking mockery. <laughs> uh, Uzuma. <laughs> but you end up getting introduced to all these characters. The sister ends up dropping off some clothes for Musubi. Because you know, all she has was the one set, which looks like this um, mixture of a... A karate gi mixed with a shrine maiden's outfit with a skirt that uh, goes down to about the crotch. This thing is nothing but panty flashes. <laughs> panty flashes and tit shots. And you gotta love it when a fight yeah. goes sideways and tits end up showing. Titties to the rescue! Grabs onto them. These will help me, like... Oh, fuck, I already fucked up what I was gonna say. You know, the very first time I ever watched this... My brain was like, hey, maybe that's something that you have to do is completely strip the person to win. (laughs) (laughs) I'll beat you, Satan! Strips off his underwear. Now I'll suck your dick! Wow. The fuck, Vic? What? (laughs) God help us all. Satan! There is no God. (laughs) If there was a God, Vic wouldn't exist. Drinking Satan's lovely man juices. I think that's why Satan left uh, Twitter. Yeah, right? <laughs> Satan got suspended on purpose because he didn't want to deal with Vic's existence. Uh, uh, Let's start a new hashtag. Blame Vic. Uh, <laughs> now they already have something like that. Uh, that was trending on Twitter's... Uh, what was it? Hashtag, disa- uh, hashtag disabled kid diaries. <laughs> so, you know, we, we can have that, and then just right below it, blame Vic. <laughs> so, at what point do you become numb to being the punching bag? I don't really know at this point, because right now I'm, like, trying to troll this person. Who are you trolling? Oh, just some guy who's, like, I don't know, like, some person who said that hetero- uh, heterosexuals should die. So I'm just being me. Heterosexuals should die. Yeah. Have fun with that. I'm still wondering on the question of why parrots and lemurs can't get along with each other. I... You know what? It's it's no longer that he leaves me speechless. It's that he just says some of the dumbest fucking shit. 
My grandma always told me, don't speak unless you have something to say. I never listened to her. That's a, a toddler has more to say than you do. At least a toddler, when a toddler speaks, there's more of value. Yeah, I was about to say, a toddler's more coherent. That too. It's nothing but a win. I say we replace Vic with a toddler. I'll call my nephew in here. He can be the new co-host. Yeah, but you know what? I'm going to feel bad if I start yelling and talk to you at your nephew. <laughs> That's a good point. Maybe we shouldn't use him. I'll grab one of the neighbor's kids. They're all fucking retarded-ass mud mouths anyway. Good, then I'll just talk about kicking him in the chest. <laughs> uh, one of them's been bullying my nephew off and on, and I've been looking into the legalities of kicking a seven-year-old in the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, sadly, I think they qualify that as sexual assault nowadays. Son of a bitch! Alright, anyway, continue. Yeah, uh... <laughs> let's see, uh, you get to see Uzumi and Musubi taking a bath together, because for some odd reason, Japanese baths are huge bathtub, then you get a shower with a little stool right next to it. Yeah. Uh, before you continue, I have to say, the moment that you're getting to right now, uh, this part is my favorite part of the entire series. Like, it was the part that made me laugh the hardest. Oh, uh, you mean when they're, uh, when Musubi starts a, a fight naked in the bathtub. Yes. <laughs> Uzume goes running out of there, grabs a towel, wraps it around herself. Musubi tries running after her and he's like, oh. Gotta remember modesty. <laughs> yeah, that was a great moment. <laughs> the, the, the part that I really enjoyed was when Uzume landed on the fence. Minato looked up at her, the towel slipped, and she's like, oops. <laughs> that, that was kind of a human thing to do. Just that one, like, oh shit, my towel slipped. Yeah. Yeah, soon after that... Sorry, I'm having a stroke. Well, everything's going as uh, as usual. Um, status quo is being held. Well, thank you. <laughs> Mia ends up stopping the fight with a ladle. Um, now, you get to see a blonde, which is completely disconnected from the main story at this point. You see a blonde standing on top of a building, and she's going on about how she hates Ashikabis. But that's that's a short-lived scene. Uh, that's when she was fighting with uh, Hobita. Minato ends up going to work. Uh, they they close the area off because NBI sent out an email to all the Ashikabis saying you can get the green girl. Which, there was an arboretum that was overgrown with plants. So, all these Ashikabis were thinking about going there. But Minato and Seo were the only two that showed up. Yeah, this person has the brain of a koala. Continue! I hope you get butt-fucked by kitchen gadgets. What makes you think I haven't already done that? Well, my respect for you just went down. <laughs> <clears throat> Was it even in the positives at this point? Uh, not really. But Seo and Minato are going through this arboretum that's filled with trees. 
they end up seeing a little hallucination of um, the little girl's name is Kusuno or Ku. And she points at where she's located at. They end up, you know, hauling ass in that direction. They end up finding where she's at. But there's this other Seki Ray that's there with a scythe. Now she's talking about, hey, you're going to go and be one of my Ashikabi Seki Rays. And Kusuno is. As much as, like, a six-year-old can, she's, like, giving her the finger and telling her no and crying constantly. <laughs> but Minato ends up uh, rescuing Ku and Musubi trying to return Minato's phone ends up beating the piss out of that psych girl. And this is why I originally thought you had to strip them naked. Oh, yeah, that... Because... Being honest with you, that does kind of make sense. <laughs> yeah, Musubi is naked except for her panties. And this other girl, before she ends up getting defeated, it she gets her top ripped off. So, like I said, just nothing but tits. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck you with a fucking cheese grater. That sounds kind of kinky. I'd rather fuck someone else with a cheese grater, though, than be fucked with one. I'm sorry, fuck who? I said someone else. I, I just don't know who you're talking about. Oh, anyone. Yeah. He's just mad but... because I sent him a tweet that pissed him off. It's okay, go ahead and continue. Kushino ends up coming and living with uh, me and the gang at the places... You get to find out that the boarding house is called Mason Izumu. So, Ku is sitting there talking to Minato, and she wants to become one of the Seki Rays, so she ends up kissing him too. Which, I don't know about you, but that was a scene that kind of weirded me out. Uh, yeah, that was one of my bigger issues with it, because that, that was just... If you read the different reviews online, the big thing that they use as a thing for the uh, emergence of the Sekirei is um, sexual contact. Those are the exact words that get thrown around a lot. Mucosal. It's through mucosal contact. Yes, but a lot of people use the term sexual contact, and... Uh, with that idea in mind and the fact that so many people take it to be sexual contact, that scene just becomes something really, really gross. Well, as long as the kid's not jamming her tongue down his throat. Yeah, it, it could have been a lot worse than it was, but still. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of places on a woman that you can have mucosal contact with and just know. Yeah. But two ends up emerging... And then you get, obviously, they're living together for a while. Ku gets up at night to use the restroom, and she sees this woman standing behind her. Ku freaks out, uh, like a small child, runs to Minato's bed and hides under the covers. And she's saying, you know, it's a ghost, it's a ghost. So they end up searching the house, they don't find anything. So they all go back to sleep. You get to see little, little hints that there's somebody else there. And this woman, you, you've seen her off and on throughout the show. 
she's surrounded by computer monitors, and she looks like the uh, stereotypical hacker, you know, if you animated one. But she ends up hacking a MBI satellite, which is raining down some kind of beam at Musabi, trying to kill her as Musabi's going throughout the market. And while that's going on, Matsu ends up going into the bat and Inato's not realizing who's behind him because there's no mirror. He's not looking behind him. All he feels was a pair of boobs pressed up against his back. But uh, Minato turns around, sees that it's Matsu, starts digging out because he has no idea who this woman is. You know, she starts trying to get handsy. Uh, Musubi walks in, ends up getting a net fired out of her, her uh, at her out of a gun that looks like a AR-15 with a fucking grenade launcher. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, yeah. Uh, she got shot by Call of Duty. <laughs> so. But as soon as that happens, here comes Mia opening the door, and Mia holds a sword right up to Matsu's neck, saying, oh, I thought it was too loud in here. Then you get all the characters sitting around the table, and they get introduced to Matsu. Matsu is Sekirei number two. You get to find out that she lives behind a trick door, which is why nobody knew where she was, who she was, and primarily why she creeped out Ku. Now, you get to see her... Uh, climb over top Minato and she's like oh yeah I forgot the most important part she leans down kisses him and she emerges so that's what three and three episodes yeah okay and it becomes uh, kind of this thing where Skimmy is Skimmy is the, the blonde I was talking about earlier you know Skimmy ends up fighting with the twins and then she ends up fighting with Homida and she's just kind of... With Homura, she's not really kicking his ass. She's just kind of toying with him. But she ends up having this dream about Nashikabe just as much as Minato has a dream about her. So Minato sets off to find her as well as Musubi sets off in one direction. Matsu's looking through a satellite in another direction. And Minato and Ku are heading off in a separate direction. Now, Minato is the first one to come across her. She realizes who he is, and her first reaction is to, you know, she controls water, so she fires some water at him, knocks him into a wall. Uh, she starts getting upset because Ku is a Sekirei, so she thinks that he is a horrible guy on that, but... The twins come back into this where they're going after Skumi and they end up almost eating her, but Minato knocks her out of the way. She's enamored with the fact that he almost threw away his life to save her. She ends up beating the piss out of the twins and then she emerges. Now, when she emerges, she's talking about how she is his wife now. And there's all these little, hey, I'm married to you. I am your true wife. That's another thing that goes all throughout the series. So she ends up coming back to Mason Izumu. She's going on about being his true wife. Here's Musubi. I'm his true wife too. 
There's Ku. I'm his, uh, I can't remember if she said true wife or little sister or something like that. No, she calls him Big Brother. But a, uh, a mystery Sekirei ends up showing up at Maison Izumu. And she's there to visit Musubi. Now, Musubi invites her in. Time to give her a change of clothes because Musubi ends up soaking her with uh, the garden hose. Now, Matsu kind of creaks open her door, sees her, freaks out because the the new Sekirei is part of NBI's discipline squad. Now, you get to find out that she is referred to as the Black Sekirei. Racist. Sorry, dumb joke. You know what the weird thing is? There's nobody of any color. It's all, like, I think Asians portray themselves as white people, so there's nothing but white people in, in the city. I've noticed that a lot with anime. It seems like these very obviously Japanese characters end up looking like Caucasian people. I've never understood that. Yeah. My favorite is when they have the one that speaks an obvious, like, Japanese dialect, and her name is Jacqueline, or... (laughs) Hi, my name is Jackie. (laughs) Yeah, right. (sighs) Did a dog just stumble onto the mic? (sighs) Never mind, it's just Vic being a tard again. Yeah. He's trying to imitate his girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wait my dog is actually female that's disturbing yeah i was gonna say i wouldn't be surprised so why she spent so much time up in your room don't insult his mm-hmm. girlfriend jeb it's the only one he'll ever get i hope that when you get to my state i'm able to punch both of you in the jaw i will give you one free shot but just bear in mind i get one free shot at full power too oh, christ okay all right cool now, NBI ends up buying the entire city, and along with Ku, you get to find out that Ku has a friend, which is like a brother to her, and his name is Sheena. Now, Kusuno has the ability to grow things and the ability of life. Sheena has the ability to kill things, but Sheena ends up getting chased by a couple of another Ashikabe's Sekirei's and running into Minato's sister. Now, Minato's sister is enamored. Oh, he's a national treasure. He's a pretty boy. So she immediately tries to defend him and they run off together. And all with this stuff, you can get to see uh, uh, shopping races between Musubi and Jimmy. Now, soon after that, you get to find out that there's a mystery Sekirei, which is going around and defeating, or, well, almost killing other Sekirei, and just kind of walking off so nobody can confirm who the winner is. So, pretty much a mercenary taking people out. Now, you get to see uh, Sekirei and her Ashikabe trying to escape across the bridge, and that's after... Uh, NBI locks down the entire city, but the, those two end up getting chased, I want to say, probably about 30 feet onto the bridge, and then here comes another member of the uh, discipline squad, Heihane, or the Blue Sekirei. She ends up showing up and scaring the, scaring the woman hell out of these two. They end up hightailing it back out of there. Soldiers get chased, but Haihane just kind of stands there and laughs at him. Now, you get to see 
Uzume visit her Ashikabi in the hospital. So you get to find out who her Ashikabi is, which is this little frail girl. But Uzume turns out to be the the mystery Sekirei or the veiled Sekirei, and she is getting blackmailed into taking out all these other Sekirei. Now, when this is going on, the little one that was trying to escape across the bridge runs into the veiled Sekirei, and right as that happens, Musubi and Skimi show up. So, Skimi ends up fighting the veiled Sekirei for a little bit, and Musubi is just kind of sitting there waiting in the wings, and here comes... Uh, uh, another mystery person ends up interrupting the fight uh, uh, she ends up being number three Kazehana but uh, Kazehana ends up taking Usame and just kind of hightailing out of there because Kazehana's power is the wind so they you know tornado up and go on top of a roof so these two can't find him. So you get to find out that Kazehana knew who Uzume was. She ends up challenging Kazehana to a fight, loses easily, and Kazehana's like, you know what, I will forget this whole thing, I will not send you up out of the, out of the second rate plan if you buy me some, some sake. Now it cuts away for a little bit, and Skimmy sitting there fuming back at the house but as the night goes on they all end up falling asleep in walks Uzume and Kazehana they end up walking into Minato's bedroom they apparently don't realize it's his bedroom but he ends up waking up in the morning to two topless women sleeping on both sides of him ah uh, my daily Saturdays Dream Saturdays, maybe, but not your real Saturdays. <laughs> Dude, you've never even seen a woman naked in person. You know, the last two episodes, you have cried more than a toddler or an infant with colic. I'm gonna beat you to death with my ashtray. I'm sucking my thumb, so blow me. No thanks. I don't want to take away anybody's job. I mean... Largely, that's Brown Man's job, and he seems to like that job. You know, I miss, I miss Brown Man. He gave me presents and toys and cummies, glorious cummies. Yeah, like I said, uh, Usame and Kazehana are topless right next to Minato. Minato kind of freaks out. All the girls end up showing up at the door. Mia is like, you know what? get dressed we don't need him to have lustful urges again yeah and that's another running thing of him going again because <laughs> apparently you know he's sleeping next to this incredibly hot chick and never crosses his mind yeah i'll definitely be getting into that to an extent i you know, like it blew my mind especially because she's into him yeah now kuno which is the little sucky raid that tried running across the bridge initially, you know, that works well. Yeah, you're gonna have to edit this part out. Yeah, that's fine. Bring. Shut up. Bring. Dude, shut up. Are you sticking your dick up a sheep's ass, Vic? Bring. It's taking jobs away from Vincent. <laughs>
Nah, Vincent seems to be faithful to his goat at this point. Monogamous fucking pussy. You only say that because he stopped fucking you. I miss his, uh, oh, fuck, I was gonna say something about, like, a, uh, Tobuk stick. Man, shut up, you got nothing to complain about. That bastard left me mid-spank for his fucking goat. Am I the only one that doesn't want to fuck another guy on here? Uh, I, okay, joking aside, I think that Vic is straight? Yes, I'm actually straight. I just, I so don't care if people view me as gay that I say the weirdest shit. That and probably if, like, someone misdiagnosed me, maybe someone would think I have Tourette's, even though I'm not diagnosed with Tourette's, although I just say the weirdest shit ever, which may think that, which make make, which, 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 while I, while my brain just decides to die on me. Like ketchup? <laughs> like the Flash, my thoughts go so fast that the realms of space and time cannot keep up. And I will fuck anything that is conscious, aware, and old enough to consent. And has the uh, conscious ability to consent. Does anyone want to hear the time my mom walked in on me masturbating? <laughs> <laughs> oh honey, you're doing it wrong, let me help. Oh actually kinda, yeah she did. She said like, why do you have the curtains open? You have to close them, and why is the door open? You have to close it. Of course. Of course. Of fucking course. I... I... Uh, I want to die. You're not just, alone. Just I, pop a shotgun in my mouth because I'm done. I, I tried to hang myself last episode and you made me cut myself down, jackass. You're not allowed to take the shotgun. Two episodes ago, I was climbing outside my window. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> just remember, we're allowed to be suicidal and act suicidal, but somebody is going to stop us from actually doing it. If we do it while we're recording. Yes. <laughs> There was also the time my grandma found out. Yeah, that's just... Found out what? Like, <laughs> what? Uh, okay, I, I think... I want to know. I think that every person in his family has caught him masturbating at this point. Yes! Except... Except my father. Actually, except him and my grandfather. Actually, no, wait a minute. My grandfather almost caught me. There's so many things I want to say right now, but I'm not going to because they would be too mean. It was very awkward when my grandfather did it. I was so worried he was going to find out. I'm just trying to figure out if I have enough food in my stomach to throw up or if it's just going to be bile at this point. <laughs> uh, I just ate, so there'll be plenty of vomit. I'll make sure to angle the mic just right so it can be, you know, very, very audible. It was very awkward because I was, like, shirtless. Yes, it was so glorious when I revealed my man breasts. <laughs> <laughs> Swaying in the breeze like grass. <laughs> Don't lie, Justin. You were you were entranced by my splendor. <laughs> Wanna die. <laughs> uh, uh, Jeb, continue with the review so we can pretend like this never happened. Man titties! Uh shut up, Vic. Man, man titties get stuck in a meat slicer. There'd be a lot to slice. <laughs> <laughs> Last disgusting joke, he could start a deli. If there was a god, I'd be praying for death. <laughs> Alright, go ahead. 
Okay. Now, you get to find out that Kasehana and Mia have a, a background together because Mia has a background that we as viewers know exactly what it is, but the people inside the episode are completely ignorant to. But Kuno and her Ashikabi end up meeting up with Seo and Minato talking over how to escape from the city. And when that happens, Kasehana just comes with them and starts talking about love, it's love. <laughs> Sounds like a giant hippie. <laughs> you fucking know she does. Oh yeah, you're you're not wrong. All that's missing is like six tabs of acid and a joint. And beads. Lots and lots of beads. And uh, the, that's Mardi Gras. And the, the stench of patchouli. Yeah. Okay. Just gonna go back to this to destroy what's in my head. <laughs> the plan is set in motion as to what all is gonna go down. So Matsu ends up doing a countdown to when everything is gonna happen. Now at the zero mark, Matsu takes over all the MBI satellites. Uh, Sail and the twins end up frying a. Uh, and Uno, Hirashikabi, Musubi, Ku, I think that's it. They all end up hightailing it down the bridge. Ku stays behind to distract all the NBI guys by pretty much picking them up with plants, destroying their vehicles, and making one giant... How would you describe it? Vine monster thing? Yeah, vine monster vine sounds... Vine Monster sounds about accurate. Vine Tower works, too. Yeah. It doesn't have a mouth. It's not trying to munch on people, but yeah, it's, it's got to be at least three stories and just knocking vehicles over. Yeah. Uh, they get about midway there. Part of the plan ends up going to shit because Minitel wants to head back and save Ku. Matsu ends up heading out to save Ku instead of Minato saying, hey, you know, just keep going. Now, here we come to... Isn't this the final episode of the show now? Uh, what? Or, no, no, it's... It's the final two episodes of the show now. Yeah. Here come the rest of the Discipline Squad, which is Heihane, the Blue Seki Ray, and Benny Shibatsa which is the Red Sekiro. Now, they both end up kind of, uh, well, Benny Tsubasa goes after Musubi because they're both close-range fighters, and Heihane ends up going after uh, Uno. Benny Tsubasa is, I'm going to have to say, that she is wiping the floor with Musubi. Yep. Now, Kudo, her like her little ability is her voice. She can do a sonic scream, or as you find out, she can sing this song that puts whoever hears it to sleep. So she almost takes out Heihane with that. She ends up hurting herself singing. So that backfired. But Benitsubasa ends up hitting the uh, the bridge collapses part of it. Minato is hanging on the edge as debris is falling into the river. Musitabi is trying to get to him and saying, hey, I'll help you, hey, I'll help you. Benny Sabasa just punches 
down on her spine and it completely destroys the uh, Sekirator from the back on her back, which knocks her out of the whole thing. She is no longer capable of fighting or capable of being outside of MBI's uh, protective custody. So Ben Tsubasa starts going after Minato, but here comes Skimmy. Skimmy starts going largely on it. She's still you know, kind of going after Ben and Tsubasa on this one. She finds out that Musubi is no longer active. She, she loses her shit, starts going after them, but she's doing it in such a way as to not harm Minato. So that ends up failing. She ends up covered in iron girders. Everything looks like it's going to hell. Minato is about to die. Kuno and her Ashikabi are about to die. But all of a sudden, Musubi starts glowing and she rises up. You know, just kind of floats there. Then you, you get to see the number eight across her stomach. Now, the original number eight imprinted her power onto Musubi. So it's just kind of like a dual layer thing. But, but number eight was also known as the Sekirei of Fate. And she wipes the floor with the Discipline Squad. Like easily. She's covering up her boobs with one arm. And she is just one-handed beating the piss out of these people. Oh yeah, mommy, please keep beating me. So rap. I speak the wires around your throat and pull. My mic cable is like 15 feet long. We could probably make a noose out of that. Oh, come on. You don't um, want a dominant woman beating you? No, that's not my issue. My issue is I don't want to talk about it on a podcast. Freedom of speech for my fucking ass. <laughs> this is not America. Okay. This is the Pillbox Podcast. Okay. But the uh, Black Seki Ray ends up up to fight uh, Sekirei number eight because those two have a history. She ends up dodging the sword left and right, saying, "Hey, you know what? You don't want to do this. If you if you kill me, how are you going to keep your promise to Musubi?" In mid sword swing or mid sword thrust, Musubi just kind of comes back to and she's like, oh, what are you doing here? Now, the the whole thing pretty much, Kuno and her Ashikabi ended up thrown across the, uh, the collapsed bridge by Uzume and Kazehana. And to end out the, the whole thing, they end up sitting around TV where MBI is talking about how they have to destroy all the life that showed oh no, I'm sorry, uh Sheena? Sheena destroyed all the plant life. And they're talking about how all the plant life mysteriously now at the end they all end up hugging uh Minato and there's a end credit scene which is all of them kind of, they all have the little end story where Musubi is winning uh, 
the shopping race and Skumi is losing it and she's bitching about it. Ku is just kind of, you know, going around in a little costume, if I'm not mistaken. But each character, like I said, has their own little ending scene and that is the end of the entire thing. Uh, this is Monica coming in in post. Um, it was at this point in the podcast that Jeb's quality degraded to the point where he just dropped out of the call entirely. So um, I just cut out all of the dead air and the trying to fix the tech issues and just skipped ahead to the point where Vic was making an ass of himself to try and fill the dead air. Uh, just giving a brief recap so you don't have to deal with all the extra stuff to have context as to what's going on. Alright, back to the episode. Penis is in my urethra. I don't think that's how that's wor- how that works. Yes, it is. No, no, it isn't. It is how it works. I deem it so. I am now your Lord, thy Savior, Jesus. Yes, and I'm a supermodel. Ah, yes. Show me those succulent titties, Daddy. Uh, I shouldn't have said that. And titties as they flop in the breeze. Like horses running across the plains. (sighs) Succulent in their meat. Man titties. <laughs> Christ Almighty, Vic. Uh, have no earthly idea. <clears throat> it seems like every single time we do this, the technical issues just find ways to get worse and worse. I know, right? It's like the more we go, the shittier the quality gets. <laughs> I swear to God, this this uh, podcast is cursed. Well, it's us. Uh, well, in this case, three. Yeah. Maybe it's because Vincent's not here. Probably. Oh my god, I just realized that Vincent has his profile picture set as Mel fucking Gibson. <laughs> you just realized that? Yes. Jesus fucking Christ. Could he suck his dick any harder? I don't know. Oh, hey. Hey, Jeb. Hear me? Yep, I can hear you, bro. Okay, so, um, uh, uh, uh Monica went, you can continue your segment. <laughs> what? I still finished my segment. Oh, you did? Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I'll just wait for him to come back I up. I don't know what it means when I've said add credits. No. Still not back? Oh, <laughs> I came in at and the right Monica, time. I've been, like, turning my phone on and off trying to get signal back. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, it's not even registering on my screen that you're in the call. Yeah, I think that's because uh, the phone hates me. That is very possible, but it's coming in clear now, so you should be able to at least finish your part. I already did. Oh, you did? Shit, okay. Yeah, uh, so I said the uh, end credit scenes, and I started explaining some of them. Oh, okay. 
Okay, um, I guess I will go through with uh, my part now. Now I've just kind of got a list of the, the good things and then the bad things, and then I've got a short little rant at the end of it. Um, I guess what we're going to do is I will go through each thing on my list, starting with the good, and if you have anything that you want to add to each item on the list, go for it, and then when we get to the bad, if you want to debate what my issues were, feel free. Alright, so the first thing on my list of what was good about the show, boobs, lots of boobs. The first boob shot was within the first five minutes, that's always a plus in my mind. Uh, the second thing is... What was that? As crutch, crutch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the animation was surprisingly good. It wasn't the best, but it was still very good. I have no complaints on the animation whatsoever. The voice cast was mostly good, minus one exception that I'll get into in a bit. Overall, the voice work for the English, ju English dub did a passable job. I assume the original Japanese VAs did a better job, but I only watch subs when there's no dubs available. It's not a I'm too lazy to read kind of thing. It's more of a I'm too much of an ADHD scatterbrain to focus on subtitles and stuff happening on the screen. Yeah. Oh, trust me. You'll hear, hear me. You'll hear a little rant because I have some of my stuff that's nothing but subtitle. Oh, God. And you'll hear me. Yeah, you'll hear me go off on that. So I'll have to, like, look at the screen, write things down, pause, look at the screen, write things down. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That'll be fun. Uh, the action was well choreographed and fun to watch. I had no problems with the fighting at all. Uh, the jokes landed for me about 50% of the time. I had a few moments that I chuckled out loud, particularly in episode 3 or 4 when Musabi wanted to fight pretty much everyone. And when she tried to take on the landlady, she had her ass handed to her without any effort at all. That was probably one of the best comedic moments in the show. Oh, yeah. Throughout the entire season, you get to see Musabi with lumps on her head because she's being trained by Mia, and Mia is... Uh, you find out that Mia is number one. She was the very first Psyche Ray. She's the most Psyche Ray. Yep. So I, she is fast, strong, she has all that shit going for Yeah, I had my suspicions from the very beginning that she was a Sekire. Like, from the moment that I saw her, I had suspicions. Uh, that's that's my entire list for the things that I liked about the show. This is gonna get fun. <laughs> Vic already knows because he read through my first draft and told me when I was going in too hard and had to remove some stuff. Yeah, because I could have actually gone the wrong way. Yeah. Uh, now for the bad. These things essentially made the show unlikable for me in almost every way. This is all opinion, and at the end of it, it's your choice whether you watch it or not. But for me personally, this was a one-time watch and then never again. First of all, the VA for the main character sucked. I can't stress that enough. He was terrible in my mind. His voice was grating, and more often than not, I wanted to reach through the screen and slap the motherfucker. Whoever picked him for the uh, for the part needs to lose their fucking job. I, I well, see, there, there's the thing. Well, with a lot of these characters, you have what's called land protagonists. Yes, and I will be getting the into that. Land, you have 
this was the the worst case scenario in my mind for a main VA or for a main character. But my issue uh, with this particular part is the VA itself, like the person who voice acted the main character. I I don't know. Maybe he's better in other roles, but in this role, he sucked, and I hated it. it just the sound of his voice was enough to get on my nerves. Uh, my notes are downstairs. Is Josh Greeley or Joe McDonald? It was Joe McDonald. Uh, both of which have gone on to voice. I think Joe McDonald has voiced many, many characters that are very good. Okay, see, this this wasn't necessarily a judgment call on his entire career. It was just in this role, I did not like him. I did not like the way his voice sounded. I just, I just couldn't get into him at all. Uh, the next point of issue, uh, even if the main voice actor was good, it wouldn't change the fact that the main character was flat, bland, and just self-insert bullshit. His reaction to things were totally unbelievable and contrived to the point of absurdity just to manufacture interpersonal drama that was entirely unneeded and just there to pad the runtime as much as possible. I can't even hate Minato Sahashi, because why would I waste energy hating a cardboard cutout? The character is entirely forgettable in every way. <laughs> and I'll get into this in a minute. I'm fine with, you know, harem animes. I'm fine with animes that are entirely fan service from beginning to end. But there needs to be more than just that for me to be able to get into it. Uh, finally, my biggest issue with this anime. Sekirei is nothing more than fan service start to finish. But the problem is that it isn't even good, good fan service. The story is threadbare to the point of annoyance, and what little story there is is nothing more than a string of tropes, cringeworthy bullshit, and sex appeal. This has every trope, cliche, cringe, and annoying anime detail that people bitch about. I've heard jokes about the horny nosebleed thing for a long time, but I've never actually seen it done until I watched this anime. The worst part is that there was zero self-awareness to it. It's played up serious. The first time the main character got a nosebleed, I wanted to fucking die of cringe. This anime does zero to expand the art form, and if anything, sets it back. I don't see any enjoyment being derived from watching this unless you're a horny bastard desperate for fan service and sex appeal with nothing else added. I don't have a problem with sex appeal and fan service when it's... Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, on that one, I will say fuck you. <laughs> because I actually do enjoy this. It's not for the fan service. It's a lot of it's for the animation itself and for the writing that's done for uh, the different side Each one given its own personality. Okay, I can I can kind of get where you're going. The themselves, they made it a whole atrocious, but it's enlarged each one. If you want to call it a trope, each one is its very own trope. It's each has individuality. Okay, I can understand where you're coming from on that. Uh, me personally, I, I guess um, the the character, like how the characters are done, is important to me. But I also feel like there has to be a bigger draw with the story, and I felt like the story was lacking in a lot of ways with this one. Uh, I'll give you see it, and I really wish it would have come out with a season three to this because there there's a season two, and the story continues, but the um, the entire thing overall, 
carries a very good story. You'll that there are certain things that are put in the season one come to fruition in season two. Okay. Like different things with uh Kagri, um yeah, all different little threads in the story. Okay. Uh continuing on with my uh with my main thought, uh I don't have uh, a problem with sex appeal and fan service when it's done right. For example, high school DXD is good fan service. It has lots of tits and tropes here and there scattered throughout, but the story keeps you drawn in and adds to the experience in a fun way. The main character, although flawed, goofy, and fucked up, actually acts like a person, albeit a very horny person. His actions and reactions don't feel forced to drive the plot forward. They come off as natural, and you can see the motivation behind everything he does, good and bad. You don't get any of that with Sekirei. This was not the anime for me in any way. My final rating is 3 out of 10. If you want fan service and Pokemon with tits, give it a watch. If not, give it a pass. Yeah, I was going to say, there's there's a meme across. It said, uh, sum up Sekirei in two words. Human Pokemon. <laughs> Honestly, like I said, this is one of the shows that got me back into watching anime. So for me, it's it's going to be around eight out of ten. Understand the main character is, you know, you might as well be talking to a brick, but yep. the rest of the characters around him to me are the ones that truly carry the show. You know, you get to find out the little things uh, that make them tick. Like, excuse me, you get to find out how she hates how she copies. Then how she views uh, feet and merge, how she thinks it's marriage. And how the rest of them want to say that they're men and toes, uh, wives too. And each seems to build one at a time. The only one that truly doesn't and I just lost you completely. I can hear the hum of Vic's side, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> it was utter silence, and then... Okay, I'm not that loud. It's It's not super horrible. Like, when you start talking, the hum cuts out entirely. But when you're silent for a long time, it starts up again. Glorious. My voice is indeed godlike. I, I think that the humming is actually your microphone rejoicing that you're being silent. No one likes me. <laughs> Not even inanimate objects. At least I have you out of print, Daredevil, tray paperback collection. <laughs> can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you now. Uh, the last thing you said was the only character that you don't see grow is, and then that was it. Okay, yeah, like I said, the, uh, you get to see the characters around Minato grow, but the only thing you don't get to see grow is Minato himself. Now, I will tell you this, if you are looking for this series, it comes in a box set with season one and season two. Uh, this is out of print. I paid about a hundred bucks for it. If you look on eBay right now, you're gonna end up paying about two hundred for it. Jesus. Yeah, like I said, it's a print. Uh, collectors have it. It's kind of rare. But yeah, like I said, my overall rating is about a 
7 or an 8 out of 10. Alright, fair enough. Vic, what is your opinion based on hearing both of our sides? Titties! Ass! More titties! Me crying in the corner because I'll never have any titties to slap my to slap my face with. Thank you for your astute analysis. <laughs> you truly Dude, provided something special. Like I said, he cries more than an infant with colic. Titties! The only reason he's screaming about titties is because he wants to drink some breast milk. Awesome. Breast milk. He hasn't been fed in a while. Somebody feed this man! (laughs) I can't even say this anymore with a straight face. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Nobody would do that. They'd end up using a pump and feeding it to him that way. Oh, Jesus Christ, I'm going to hate myself when I see these in the future. Yeah, it, it is still my idea we're going to end up trying to get you laid in October. Oh, Jesus Christ. Like I said, I'm going I'm to pay a hooker and not tell him that it's a hooker. He'll forget by the time this comes around, so it won't matter. Can I at least get some condoms? Obviously, I'm going to be bringing a shitload of fucking condoms. You think I'm coming unprepared? Good. I don't want to, like, go and then I have to explain to my my family why there's, like, warts on my penis. The fact that they need to know that you have warts on your penis is rather disconcerting. You're an adult! They got how can you get the coronavirus. He would buy a six-pack of corona and drink it and then say, do I have the coronavirus yet? <laughs> Probably. Well... If I drank all of it, maybe I would have cirrhosis, but I think that's a different type of uh, disease that starts with C. If a six-pack gives you cirrhosis, you must be three. Oh, you only said a six-pack. I didn't say a fucking keg, man. Oh. Keg wouldn't give you cirrhosis. That takes years of drinking. Well, I think my liver is such a pussy that I probably get one drink and I already have the first stages of cirrhosis. Like, just take one sip and already my liver can't handle it and I need a new liver. Oh, I'm gonna enjoy just popping bottles. I'm probably gonna be, like, bitching about the hangover, too, probably. Yeah. So I'm, I gotta take, I, so I'm probably gonna bring, like, some, like, headache medication or something. I don't know if I get Bring a big bottle of ibuprofen and bring a shitload of Powerade, and after getting shit-faced, drink a bunch of the Powerade before you fall asleep. Also, awesome. I've heard I've heard eating bananas helps. Awesome. Eating dick-shaped uh, fruit. I use Powerade. Um, it works for me. I think what? Eating. No, no, I said he probably thinks eating anything dick-shaped is good. Yeah. <laughs> Hot dogs are good for you, right? They're shaped like penises. I fucking hate hot dogs with a passion. The fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> uh, uh. Monica coming in in post again. Um, at this point, we went off on a bunch of tangents that weren't worth keeping, but we started roasting Vincent and... It was pretty decent, so I wanted to leave it in, but there's no context as to how we got here or who we're talking about. So, um, I just wanted to throw this in here so you knew what was going on. Anyway, back to the episode. Big Chad himself. <laughs> right? 
Oh my god, that like, would be fucking hilarious. Listening to him do an anime review and then interrupt himself <laughs> to tell himself that he's boring. <laughs> you know he'd fuck up the editing, though, and just give up and just upload as is. And he'd be fucking dumb enough to go into a Skype call with himself to record it. He'd probably mistake the microphone for a goat and try to fuck it, and then the rest of the audio would be, like, his dick grinding against the microphone. <laughs> no, the microphone would go up his ass, and then after he was done fucking the microphone, you would have to hear his voice coming through that sludge that'd be covering the mic. Probably for, like, 15 minutes, you'd hear, like... It'd probably sound a little something like this. That was horrifying. <laughs> I feel more retarded just by thinking of this, and I haven't gotten to my segment yet. <laughs> uh, well, if you're ready to start yours, feel free. We're just kind of rambling. I was ready for a while, but then we decided to go about, like, microphones being stuck up our asses, and then I just lost no nope. train of thought. No, 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 microphones being stuck up Vincent's ass, where they belong. Oh, right, I forgot. He likes things hard and long. Why do you think he's into Mel Gibson? Mel Gibson's ass is hard and long. Exactly. Oh, you truly are fucking retarded. <laughs> I'm autistic. No fucking shit. Oh, wow. Like, do you drool on yourself? Why, what? Do you drool on yourself? I drool sometimes in my sleep, so yes. I then sniff the drool. On your segment. Yeah, of course. I decided this, I decided this time to do comic books, since... Aside from music, one of my favorite things, uh, one of my top two favorite things are comic books. And in this case, I'm doing uh, Daredevil from uh, Marvel. For those who don't know, and for those who don't know Daredevil, here is a brief um, overview of who he is as a character. He, His real name is Matthew Murdock. He is a uh, lawyer originating from Hell's Kitchen. And he is blind. When he was a child, he pushed a old man out of the way. And with Marvel Comics logic, he was sprayed with chemicals that blind that that blinded his eyes. On top of a tale as of, old as time. <laughs> basically, yeah. <laughs> and he starts his uh, um, he is inspired to be Daredevil after his father who is a boxer and after not throwing a fight with like not letting a fight win due to uh, mafia connections, he is killed. And so that begins Matt, Matthew Murdoch's uh, vigilante career. And this particular run I'm covering is the one from 2001 to 2006 by writer Brian Michael Bendis and uh, mostly by artist Alex Maleev. So, a bit of background. Uh, this is the um, this is under the 
Daredevil uh, Volume 2, and what I mean by Volume 2 is that this is under the relaunch run. So in the late 90s, Marvel, due to a lot of financial issues they were suffering throughout the decade, decided to relaunch um, some of their comics characters. And one of the things they used was an imprint they created called Marvel Knights. And their uh, goal was to make things more... I don't like saying this word a lot because I find it abused and sometimes cringy, but mature, quote-unquote, is uh, what the intent was. So he, they relaunched characters such as Punisher, Captain America, Spider-Man, uh, the team Inhumans, among others. And one of the first books that was relaunched for this Marvel Knights imprint was Daredevil. And the opening arc, which I'm not going to cover today, but I might at some point, was written by Kevin Smith. The same Kevin Smith that did Clerks. Oh, wow. Yeah, he wrote, like, the first... Um, yeah, he also, he also wrote the full one, too, didn't he? Uh, what, did you, what, did, what did you say? I said he wrote the foreword to it, too, didn't he? The, the, the foreword to the trade I have? Uh, uh, what I know is like the comics he wrote were uh, Daredevil, he's written some Batman, he wrote um, Green Arrow around like the late 90s, early 2000s. That's all I know that he has done. The book relaunches under him, and so for like the first um, 25-ish issues of uh, before Bendis comes on the book, it's very... Um, writer artist it changes a bit it's i wouldn't say like the first part the half is they do build on each other but it's not like one continuous run but bendis bendis jumps in at issue 26 which is what the first trade that i have collects issues uh 26 to 40 and a few issues before that which i can get to at the end and the main idea of his run is to take daredevil's secret identity and reveal it to the public now daredevil's secret identity has already been outed to like his enemies before there's a famous storyline where it's outed to uh wilson fisk the kingpin his basically his arch nemesis and also was a previously like more of a spider-man villain but then is now more of a daredevil villain at least since the 80s so the idea of his identity being revealed isn't really new but how they go about it how bendis went about it is very different so the run starts with uh the first arc underboss and the main idea of this arc is that the kingpin gets whacked the first issue of the arc opens and Kingpin is stabbed multiple times by all these different mafia men. And then what the story does, which is you see throughout the arc, is that it the time is non-linear. So like events are kind of like out of order, and so it's more like it's kind of like a Tarantino movie in the sense where there's all these multiple parts, but then you piece it together and then you can figure out the chronology of what happened. And so the beginning of the arc is basically trying to... A couple things. It's trying to figure out why Kingpin got whacked and that Matt Murdock it, it, uh, has a bounty on his head. And so he's trying to figure out who set up the bounty. And so I'm not going to get too far into what happens, but the end result is that 
one of the guys that got involved with the hit is taken into police custody and in ex- and as a piece of information he gives what the secret identity of Daredevil is he gives it to the FBI and then one of the FBI agents then takes it over to a uh, a, a news st- a news stand and then his identity is leaked to the public and so for a really good while the run shows basically Daredevil's life going to shit in a handbasket. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically his mo- he's slowly unraveling with every event. Everything just keeps piling and piling and piling and piling until eventually he snaps. Now, he doesn't kill anyone because and admittedly with like status quo he can't kill anybody but he does pretty much lose his shit and what this arc what this run what Bendis does really well with the character he he takes everything that if you've read Daredevil up to this point you know and you're familiar with and just breaks it all apart nothing is and what I mean by structure like everything that you expect to happen doesn't happen everything that was already established well known is just cast aside the idea is let's just get daredevil into the worst possible scenario that you could pretty much give a superhero and just see what happens and so for essentially the first like i said the first half so basically so basically issues 26 to 50 is just piling on top of piling on top of piling on top of piling again until he just snaps he just loses his shit and just goes ballistic and then the second half of the run it's basically it's the fallout of his actions and it's really it's gonna be just very i just been trying to be vague because a lot of shit happens it is beat a homeless guy with his cane what I said he probably beat a homeless guy with his cane. <laughs> That'd be awesome, but no. Although he is at uh, many points just dangling people off of rooftops, and one and there's one part where there's a villain called the Owl. Daredevil never really, really had the best rogues gallery, that I admit. And he's uh, dangling this guy this like worker off the uh, off like a window, and he actually says, although they censored it because it's a uh, uh, mainstream comic. He goes, where the fuck is this guy? He actually says it. Where the fuck is he? He just does, loses his fucking mind. Beats, like, the shit out of people. Like, how the how the artist Alex Millie draws basically the entire uh, world of Daredevil, but especially Daredevil, he draws him like he is this unhinged monster where... And a lot of emphasis, especially, like, on the teeth. Like, when Daredevil is, like, gritting his teeth, it just really looks like like a dog just snarling at someone with how Malib draws. Because it's very, um... It's, it's, it's definitely... It's obviously fully developed and, like, quote-unquote realistic for, like, you know, a comic book, but it's very angular. It's not, like, perfect and round, like how a lot of other artists might have done it it's very sketchy and it, it helps with um establishing the atmosphere because the hell's kitchen really does look like a 
dirt, uh, like a sludge encrusted ghetto. It does look like a street level uh, crime ridden area. It's not like a you know Gotham where how artists draw it. Like yeah, it's um, crime ridden, but it's still very glamorized. It's still very um, you know idealized because of all the, the tall buildings. But here it's like apartments, brownstones, just nothing really glamorous. Everything's just dirty and slimy, and I just I've always loved it. And with the expansion of with the exploration of Daredevil's mind slowly unraveling, they actually introduce a couple of uh, new characters that would be around for a brief while. So they introduce a love interest by the name of um, Mila Donovan, who is another uh, blind woman, although given Daredevil's history, another hot woman. <laughs> and actually, they make mention of this in the comic. Um, Foggy Nelson, Daredevil's um, lawyer uh, partner and best friend, go basically goes, why do you always seem to get like European supermodels for girlfriends for someone who's blind? But anyway... So, like, the first half is just really great and, like, building and building and building and building. Admittedly, the one of my few problems is that the second half kind of gets a bit um, arc by arc, meaning that there isn't as smooth of a transition. Like, it's more, like, scenario-based, even though it does relate to Daredevil's slowly... Uh, Daredevil's uh, identity being leaked. It's not as, um, I want to say, visceral as the first half although it's by no means bad there's still some great storylines such as uh, Golden Age where the kingpin before Wilson Fisk comes back to uh, Hell's Kitchen after being in prison for 20 years and Alex Malib just puts out some of really some of his best artwork of his career like especially when he does black and white in this storyline it's really fucking well done really unique black and white artwork but so there's that and there's and then there's actually a really great finale well i say finale at least i mean finale it for the run because it ends on a cliffhanger and then you have to read the um first arc by the next writer that they that that worked on it uh ed brubaker and he also does a fine job although i don't think uh, and even though he does a gr- i feel a very great job i don't think him nor really any daredevil writer daredevil era after this really has topped this in my opinion because everything afterwards it's not even like the quality has gone down i don't really believe that although there are some cases where the writing has been a bit sketchy it's more like a lot of writers now were just more building upon what bendis did or just kind of reacting against what Bendis did. It only makes sense if you read the comics and see where the trajectory was for that second statement to make sense. But in terms of, like, really shaking up the Daredevil mythos of the Marvel Universe, really, it's only been Bendis so far over the past, in this case, 15 years, so soon to be 20 years, who's really, like, shaking him up to the level of the writers previously before him. Now, would I recommend this run to a first-timer? On its own, you could get the gist of what's going on. There's not, like, tons upon tons of continuity because one of the purposes of, the, of like, this Marvel Knights imprint was to try to make it 
you know, newcomer friendly, not bog it down in continuity. Although I think the, the story hits a bit harder if you know what happened before. It's the it, the um, events that happen. They hit harder if you know what has happened previously. But on its own, I would say, like, if you do want to read, like, a Bendis story, Bendis Daredevil story to see what you might get into, there is actually, before he wrote the book for, like, a long stretch of time, he actually started with, um, he actually came on and did, like, a one, kind of like an, uh, a solo storyline, like a storyline that's just, um, kind of there and it's done called uh, Wake Up, which deals with a, a the kid of a of one of Daredevil's enemies being in a catatonic state and having trying to remember what happened because his father goes missing. So if you want to read like a Bendis story and want to know what you're getting into but not, like, except for the artwork because it's done by David Mack who, do, who does a very like experimental type of uh, work so it's definitely not standard i would say probably start with um wake up to see kind of what you're gonna get into and then maybe read some other daredevil stories and then get into uh issues uh 26 through 50 and then um uh give me one sec issues 56 to 81 because there was a gap where bendis wasn't on the book but with how but since I have all the trades and I've read it uh, two times, just even though there is a gap, you miss actually nothing. It, it flows seamlessly. You don't even realize there's issues missing. So now how to get this? Um, I have these uh, ultimate collections that Marvel put out like in... Um, what year was this? Um, I believe these came out in like the early parts of the 2010s because... A couple of these volumes are now out of print. So, like, for example, my first volume I, I have in my hands. Because I remember when I bought this on Amazon, this was costing, like, 23 bucks per volume. But now I see on Amazon that volume one's out of print, and it's, like, now 40 bucks. And then the second volume is um, out of print as well. But for some reason, the third volume, you can get it for, like, still, like, 20-ish bucks. But if you don't want to go that route... You can always do, like, you know, online stuff, or they've been putting out, like, an omnibus, uh, like, omnibus, meaning, like, just multiple, multiple issues in one. So, for instance, there is the volume one, which is only, like, 60 bucks, which, yeah, is still pretty expensive, but it's a lot better than, but you get, like, the first half, so... I'd say it's pretty much a steal given what is out there at the time. And yeah, if you want to get into like crime, noir comics, and if you want to get into like Brian Michael Bendis, but are a bit iffy on like his style because there are some people that don't like how he writes because it's very dialogue heavy. <coughs> um, I would say start with here because it's basically two things that Bendis is really good at. Uh, noir crime thrillers and low level, low like street level superheroes. He's really, really good at. So I would say check it out. Maybe read like some stuff beforehand. 
But if you want to start here, by all means, it's a fantastic run. Don't have really a lot of complaints about it other than maybe like the structuring of the second half is not exactly what I would have done, but it's not at all agree and not at all bad. Um, although, just know that if you finish the run, you'll have to read the next run because again, this ends on a cliffhanger. So, but again, if you want to start here, do it. It's a freaking fantastic run. Awesome. <clears throat> What would you rate it? Um, nine, nine point five, maybe. Like, if I were to go, like, especially like, uh, I would like the twenty, like issues twenty six out of uh, through fifty. I would do nine point five, nearly a ten. It's that exciting throughout and that gripping. The second half, though, like I said, I would do more of a. 8.59, so kind of like the, the the difference of that, whatever that is. But I would essentially, as a whole, give it a 9, 9.5. Okay. Easily. I honestly gotta say, I've I've read a lot of uh, Bendis' works. He does a damn good job. The only problem I have is the narration boxes and the fucking thought bubbles. Oh, Yeah. One of the things I will say, like, for um, people who... People can say this is a flaw, but I've just never been bothered by it, but I get why people might be. He does have this tendency to just have these pages where it's really just text upon text upon text, which can be very jarring for, a like, um, new fans, at least. Or, like, new comic book fans, uh, anyway. But you were yeah, saying? I was going to say, I've known a couple of people that have seen, and I think it was The Inhumans, where there was this little picture of somebody, and then the entire page was a narration block. Oh, yeah. I will say, like, I, this is probably his later... Um, like that's probably his like later work, if I recall, because he's done a lot of shit since Daredevil. Because this was like one of his uh, first big projects, along when he was doing the Ultimate uh, imprint, like he was doing Ultimate Spider-Man and stuff like that. Well, so, the one I'm talking about was uh, the Inhumans, right? So let me see. Um, yeah, I think I'm from if I recall, that's a way later. Um, Part of his uh, uh, of his um, bibliography, if I recall correctly, but that is a problem for some people. How he goes about writing, which I can understand. Uh, I know so little about comic books that I really can't insert anything here at all. This is going to be between you two only. Chill, brother. Uh, but I was going to say some of those panels like that can be intimidating to new readers. But mm-hmm. especially, especially with Bendis's work, I don't care if it intimidates you. Deal with it. <laughs> the, no kit. The the writing he has on there, there is so much of a fucking story that if you don't read those and you just want to read the dialogue bubbles, 
you're fucking lost. You have no. no idea what's going on. Because what Bendis does, especially in the um, Daredevil run and what he's done, you know, with uh, Spider-Man and all that stuff, what he does is that he really tries to get in the characters' heads, tries to see what they're thinking, what their reaction is, what they're going to plan next, and you really the style, the dial, the the thought bubbles are the like the um uh the I'm blanking on it, but they're not thought bubbles, but they're like these like text captions that yeah, have the dial the uh, caption box. Yeah, they add really so much to what the character's thinking. Where the story isn't just hey, there's this, 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 this. There's so much going on like in their heads that it gives everything a greater context so yeah i do agree you do have to read all of it because it actually flushes out the story it does because sometimes with um comic books visuals can't tell everything because again this is a written medium that a lot of people forget a lot of people just want comic books to be like just these um pretty pictures and you know um flashy shit and whatever and while of course comic books can be that they have been that for decades you know pretty much since the inception of the medium there is a lot that can be done with like writing and stuff i don't know i have a thought on it but i was I will say this. I've run. I've read a lot of the Daredevil runs in my lifetime. I don't think I've come across a bad run of Daredevil. I've not either. I've loved like there's the Frank Miller stuff, which is obviously fantastic. There's the oh, yeah. there is the Annocenti stuff that came afterwards. It's also really good. Uh, what else? There's a shit. There is a shit ton. There is um. Uh, there's like, like I said, Ed Brubaker, Kevin Smith, um, D.D. Chichester in the early 90s, he did a really, like, very, like, overlooked run, I feel, where, um, he does more with the Kingpin. What else? I have a shit ton of Daredevil issues in my long boxes. I can't really think of, like, a bad, like, okay, there's been, like, some weird stories, but the... But unlike people like like characters like Spider-Man or even X-Men, Daredevil hasn't really had like egregiously bad decisions made. Uh the only thing I'll say that and I'll, I'll get into this in a second, but when you start dealing with the hand which when they send those stupid fucking ninjas over and over and over again. It gets a bit tedious. Oh yeah, that I can agree with. Like, Admittedly, one of my problems with the latest... No, not the latest. Uh, the run before that, the uh, Charles Soul stuff. There was a lot of um, hand stuff. Just one after the other after the other. And I get it. The hand are one of the biggest... Uh, parts of the Daredevil mythos, um, but really a lot of writers ha- can use like all the hand or the electro stuff as kind of like a crutch. Yeah, uh, but something that's funny, do you, you know how uh, Daredevil and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are connected, right? Oh yeah, I do. There's that whole um, idea that the the uh, hand, the foot, <laughs> yeah. Stick, Splinter. Yep. 
I still love the idea, and you know, is this part still like confuses me? Like, there's like the Daredevil, not the Dare- the uh, Batman, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles crossover comics, which are very fun. But I always wonder, like, why not like Bat uh, Daredevil, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? That makes way more sense considering the, the very first issue. There is like this idea. There is a this this guy that pushes a guy that old man from a truck with chemicals on it. Uh, see, the the only thing I can think of is it's a, a licensing battle where one company doesn't want to pay the other company enough. Probably. Although I'm not. Well, DC, depending on what book it is, they have enough money to throw at anything. Yeah, with it being owned by Warner Brothers and all. Although Marvel, actually since I want to say the 80s, Marvel has been on the steady increase. Yeah, they had, they were for a while. Because with Marvel compared to DC, is that even though DC has had great runs, they've, they wouldn't be big as they are if they didn't have good shit, good ideas. I mean, like Vertigo alone, you could get into that forever. But like one of the problems with like DC... I feel, or at least like with the main universe DC stuff, is that there's always like some stagnation with DC comics. Uh, like not really a lot of advancing. See, my, no, my biggest problem with DC comics is Superman himself. Because that's way too much of a, a catch-all... You know, I can do everything type of guy. You know, yeah. you put somebody out there like Batman, who's incredibly flawed, but yet he's he's gone over all this crap, and he's gotten so much better. That to me makes you think a lot more than, "Hey, I'm Superman. I'm gonna fly over here and punch a thing." Definitely, that's why I've always been a a Batman guy over a Superman guy. That and like Batman's like um. You know, side characters and rogues gallery and all that good shit is some is some of the best, if not the best, in comics. I'll say that. I know that's not that's not a very um, unpopular opinion, but it's one that I stand by. Uh, Monica, you still alive? No, I died. Good. Now I can rate his PS2 collection. You touch my PS2 collection, and I'm going to send my ninjas after you. Awesome. Will they be women ninjas? Fuck no, I saved the women ninjas for people I actually like. Oh, uh, but I want to fight women ninjas. They might accidentally touch my pee-pee. The men will too, don't worry. I don't want men to touch my pee-pee. Too many memories of your childhood? No, just men don't wash their hands as much as women do. Oh, so the memories of men touching your pee-pee when you were a child are a good thing. I don't know. You you interpret it as carried you around know. hand sanitizer. <laughs> Why are you so mean? <sighs> My ninjas are surprisingly hygienic. Don't worry. Yay! Hygienic hand bondling. Yes, their hands will be very clean as they rip your dick off. Awesome! At least we are practicing proper hygiene. Vic, I don't know what to do with you anymore. I gave up a what? long time ago. But proper hygiene is always good. Dude, you, you wouldn't be happy getting a hand job from a hobo in a back alley. Ew, they are not hygienic. 
Don't fucking lie. He'd probably spit on his hand before he did it, and you'd be happy with that, too. The only reason hobos aren't hygienic is because they use all of the hand sanitizer to make cheap alcohol. Ah, <laughs> self-efficient. Exactly. If you want to stay drunk, you got to be creative if you don't have a job. Ah, clean hands for pee-pee touching. So I assume that now that we're talking about you getting your dick fondled, we're done with comic books? Dick fondling for the win! Thank you once again for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. This has been episode 5 of the Pillbox Podcast. We hope you all enjoyed the show. Um, I'm Monica. I don't know why the fuck I breathe anymore. I have zits near my urethra. And... And the retard who's refusing to talk is Vic. (laughs) We'll see y'all next week. Jesus Christ, what's wrong with me? We've been asking that for a while now. (laughs) That's, That's something we'll never get an answer to. Science can't answer it, and religion refuses to. Will they at least learn about proper hygiene? I don't know if you hear your dick stuck in a blender.